So we're continuing in uh, this series of Genesis, the promise, and <clears throat> it's also Lent, uh, and I've, so I've been trying to like keep my feet in both worlds here, in the Genesis world and Advent world, and and uh, see how things, the, the first thing that jumped out of my mind was how we find Abram and Sarah waiting, and waiting, and waiting. Uh, I experienced a bit of that yesterday. We went Christmas shopping and waiting, 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 standing in line. And whether you're just waiting for deliveries at home, right? doesn't matter. If you go Christmas shopping, there's even during this COVID stuff, you still wait. There's still too many people shopping. It's still uh, too much, too much, too much. Even the Chick-fil-A even takes forever, you know. it's It was exceptional yesterday at, in Dover, but... Uh, the season of waiting is, is, is what Advent really is for us. For Abram and Sarah, their waiting has been waiting for God to, to keep a promise that he'd made. And instead of a few minutes in line, it's been years, years for them. But the time of waiting for us in Advent is almost over. And for Abram and Sarah, it's almost over as well. The season of waiting for them is just about done. Uh, so what I want to do first, just remind you that the scary part of a text like today, Abram and Sarah, they were pagans, right? They were, yeah, pagans. They, they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe anything. They, God showed up and decided to make a covenant with them. God chose to make a co- enter into a covenant relationship with them, not because of their faith, because he decided. And in that, they became faithful, right? In that covenant relationship, they became faithful people. There's a danger to reading a text like this story of Abram and Sarah. It's a dangerous text. It can be for us. They spent years going against God's will. He called them to go one way, and they went the other. He told them to do it this way, and they did it another. They spent years doing that. And yet, here God is about to bless them. That's the danger. The temptation, you see, is to see it happen in somebody's life like Abram and Sarah and say, well, what about me? What about my life? Why is my life not like that? I come to church try to do the right things I'm not perfect but I really 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 try why don't I get to experience miracles like they did it's a good question why not me it's one that I believe we all are tempted to answer ask ourselves and it's reasonable if you read this the way we read this because these how many? We're five chapters into this, starting in chapter 12. So if you were to read chapters 12 through 17, it might take you 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I don't know, not long. And you see chapter seven, 16, at the end of chapter 16 to the beginning of chapter 17 is like, in your my Bible, it's like that far. It's like not far at all. And we read these stories and it seems like, why? wow, God really works. Well, why didn't he work in my life like that? The reality is that from the gap between chapter 16 and chapter 17 is 13 years. 
It takes about that long in my Bible. But it's 13 years. It's, it's 2007, right? That's the year the iPhone came out. You can't even remember when that, like, it seems like that thing's been around forever. No, it's 13 years. 13 years. It's the year the Beatles came out with their last album, I think, wasn't it? 13 years. 13 years. It's been 24 years since God made the promise the first time. 24. Abram's 99 years old, and he's still waiting for God to show up. He's still waiting. That's what I think is awesome. So I'm going to go through this today, verse by verse. I'm going to go through it really quick. There's a lot here. I encourage you to study it on your own, but then I'm going to wrap it up. I have three things that I want to call, remind you of at the end. All right, just going to, We're going to, just going to go through this real quick. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be faithfully walk before me faithfully and be blameless. 99 years old, waiting 24 years, still, 13 years after his big mistake, after his huge mistake, God shows up and says, instead of, hey Abram, how you been, man? Are you like how you been doing? Are you are you struggling with this? Are you walking? No, he says, I am El Shaddai. I am all-powerful God. I am God, the one who's got all the power in the world. As if to tell Abram, what you can't do, I'm about to do. I am El Shaddai, he says. And then he tells him, walk before me and be blameless. Essentially telling him, like like we hear this, be perfect. Be perfect. Abram hasn't been perfect. He knows that. Right? We know that. We've read the story. We know he hasn't been a perfect guy. He's done some pretty awful things. He knows the mistakes he's made, just like we do. But God says anyway, walk before me blamelessly. And I will make my covenant. I will multiply you. I will do this. What's his response in verse 3? Oh yeah, then I'll make my covenant between you and me. Your numbers will greatly increase. In verse 3 he says, Abram fell face down before the Lord. Abram's like, I can't walk perfectly. Like, are you kidding me? What is my what can I do? Nothing but follow my face before God. As if to say, just strike me dead. Just kill me now. If that's the level of expectation you have for me, God, just kill me now. Because I can't do it. What about us? Like, what will we do? I'd probably be tempted to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm your guy. Like, and get up there and try to pretend to be good, Right? Not Abram, he knows. God knows. Best thing to do is just lay down. Just lay down and take it. Now we might think God would say, okay, but you love me. Let me, let me lower the standard for you. Let me, let, me like, let me make it easier for you, Abram. But he doesn't. In fact, God will speak through Moses in, in Leviticus 19 where he tells Moses years later, to speak to the entire assembly of Israel, say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
still has that same expectation. Be holy because I am holy. That has always been God's standard. What would your response be to God's command for you to be holy as I am holy? Abram fell on his face. Might be a good place for us. But then God said, as for me, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be, or no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very powerful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. Between me and you and your descendants after you. For the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abram meant exalted father. You could just see it. Abram's mom when he was born, right? I want I want my son to be a great dad. So I'm going to name him Great Dad. <laughs> you know, right? What a aspirational name for him to live up to. God says, no, 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 I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it. You are going to be father of a multitude. You're not just going to be an exalted father. You're going to be a father of many. That's his name now. And how's that going to happen? In that passage we just read? I will. I will. I will. I will, God says. God says, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm going to bless you. I'm working in your life. I'm the one doing this. You're not that good, Abraham. I'm doing it. In See, this is an important passage for us as Christians because in Christ, Galatians, if you have your Bible, flip over there to Galatians. This is in the back of the um, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, God eats pizza cold. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 uh, and 27, it says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're in this promise. We're in this promise. See, all along this promise has been for Abraham. All along this has been, it's been Abraham, I'm going to make, give you a land, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to do, now it's Abraham, I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bless those who come after you. Y'all need to be a little excited about this. That God says he's going to bless you because of your relationship with Christ. That's the truth of it. That's why this is such a big deal for us. Fulfilling the purpose that, the promise that was made back in chapter 12, that he's going to make him as numerous as the sky. Guess who that is? That numerous as the sky. That's us. That's the church. That's followers of Christ today the children of Abraham today, not just the Jewish nation, but the followers of Jesus. Verse 8, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a follower, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. He's He's reminding him of the whole land. 
Now, if you could see the picture of the, the land, it would be uh, from where he began this walk over by the uh, Iraq, right? All the way up to uh, the Syria and all the way down to Egypt. This whole big triangle where Abraham, Abraham has walked, he's giving him that land to your, his descendants. Much larger than the nation of, of Israel that we think of. It's just this little, little corner, this little piece. But God had given them all of this for his children. See, he was giving him possessions. But before he was giving him possessions, he was changing his identity. Before he could have what God had promised for him, he had to change who he was, who, he, who, he under, who Abraham thought he was. He had to become Abraham before he could become the one that was blessed with the possession of the land. And that's the same for us. That he's more concerned with who you are than what you have. God is more concerned with who you are and your, the relationship you are with him than what you have, the possessions you have. We often get that mixed up. We often put the cart before the horse, right? Maybe just me. Here for the first time is God is telling all of us as well, the descendants of Abram, that I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you myself. I'm, to, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. God is giving himself to them. Something to be realized here Christmas morning, right? When Christ came again to fulfill that promise that he would give himself for the people. That's what we're waiting for for Advent. That's what Advent's all about. In verse 9, here's where, here's where I tried to get John A. to preach this text last week, and he wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> yeah, If you're reading from your Bible, you're probably above this section. I don't know if my Bible has it or not, but uh, it's one of those texts that everybody wants to read on, during Advent. <clears throat> it's funny, I had a conversation with another pastor, and I said, what are you preaching this week? And he said, oh, you know, he's doing this Advent series. He said, this week we're talking about, I don't know, hope or love or joy, one of those, one of those things. I said, oh, really? I said, yeah. He said, what about you? I said, well, I'm preaching on circumcision. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, well, he said, what? <laughs> yeah, that's where we find ourselves. Uh, thank you, John A. <laughs> Amen. Verse 9. Then God said to Abram, as for you and you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. Finally, we get to the point where we've been waiting for this. Like, okay, God is being really nice to Abram. What's Abram got to do? He hasn't had to do anything. God says, I'm doing all this stuff for you. I'm going to give you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all this. All you have to do is live into it, right? What does that living into it look like? Well, here you go. God had, God had made his selection of the people. He had decided on the people he wanted to be his. Abram had nothing to do with that. That was God's will to do that. But now God says, in order to live into that relationship, you're going to have to live into that relationship. So verses 10 through 14 paints a picture for us of what that is. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner. For you are for those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. I should be flipping through these for you, but I'm just reading right along. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. To sign. It's a sign of the promise that we that God said, take this upon yourself, upon your flesh, this sign, this witness to the covenant that I'm this promise that I'm making with you when we get married we exchange wedding rings right and the pastor or the officiant or whoever they'll usually say something like something to the effect of this is an outward and visible sign to an inward and a spiritual grace it's an outward so sign to the world of something that's happened inside of me and my wife no one else no one else it's just the two who share these Something's happened. Circumcision in the same way would be a sign unto God that you are part of the covenant, is what he told Abraham. So if you don't have the sign, you're not a part of the covenant. Now this was for Israelites, right? This was for the Jews. The, the New Testament writers, I mean, this is one thing they fought about more than anything, was, was do Gentiles have to be circumcised? And no, they do not. So this isn't, this was for Abram and his family. But why such a sign? <laughs> I don't know if you've thought about it. Why that? I mean, why not cut off a finger? <laughs> you know, why not do like anything else? And maybe the, 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 the humor of it being Advent season and I'm preaching this text has had me thinking about this all week. I think it's because you can't undo it. It's not something you can undo. You can't take it off. It's permanent. It's a permanent reminder of a promise, of a spiritual relationship between the chosen people and the Creator. It probably meant more to Abraham. It probably meant to Abraham, it was as though God were telling him, that that no longer works for you, I'm going to make it work. I'm the one who, I'm the author of it all. Of life. If Sarah was to have his child to fulfill the promise, then God wanted Abraham to know that God was in it. That God was the one. It had to be a move of God for that to happen. Because remember, he's 99 and she's 90. You don't see many of those folks having babies. I don't think you see any of those folks having babies. Praise God. <laughs> That's not a prayer for some of you. <laughs> 
So, so God told Abraham to mark the reproductive member of his body, right? To remind himself, God, where I can't, you can. Where I can't, you can, God. It's a sign to all of us. Or to all humanity. All who would be a part of the covenant. That the member of their body that tends to lead them into more trouble than any other should always be dedicated to God. And in marriage as one flesh, Sarah would also know. She would also be reminded of the covenant relationship she had with God because they were, she and Abram were one flesh. Circumcision is another way of of shaping what they had as the the body of God, the family of God. Early in the church, even. It wasn't about having status, though. That was the problem in the early church, in the New Testament church. Galatians 6.15 says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. See, in Christ, it doesn't count. The real hierarchy of, of for God is not one you carry in the flesh. It's one you carry in your hearts. That your hearts would be shaped by God. In God's world, we're never less than. We're always, we're always where God wants us. We're always in His family. We always measure up. Verse fifteen. So now Sarah, God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I'll bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I'll bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Sarai, her name changed just like Abraham's. Abram to Abraham. Her Sarai, or however you were, used to mean uh, contentious is what they think that word meant. Now her new name was Princess. That's a good name change, right? <laughs> That's a good name change. Like now she is a, a mother of kings. Again, someone who wasn't worthy is being blessed by God and being changed. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life. Actually, I do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced that in your life. At one time, you were not worthy. And God said, oh, you are because I love you. And you responded to that grace. And you said, Lord, save me. And he did. And he changed your name. Maybe not literally, but he changed your identity. That's, what hap- that's when that happens. That This is the middle of Sarah's story, Right? If you were to write down the story of your life in Christ, it's before Christ and how I met him and what's my life been like after. Same deal here. This is is the change for Sarah. This is when her life changed. God changed her. He changes us the same way. He gives our story a middle. And this is hers. Maybe this Advent you might reflect on the middle of your story again. It certainly make Advent sweeter to reflect on that. Verse 17. 
Abram's response to this promise to his wife, he fell face down, laughed to himself. And he said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. See, he fell on his face in chapter in verse 3 of this passage as well, right? Then, though, it was about, oh, my Lord, I'm humbled before God. How can I walk before him blamelessly, right? Here he's falling in, like, come on, God, really? I'm 99, she's 90. They've kind of given up on the promise. This is, a, this is falling down in disbelief. You might say he laughed himself out of his chair. You know the phrase, right? That's, that's what Abraham has done here. All this time, in this moment, he gave up. He said, no way. That sort of believing in God is more doubt than faith. I mean, it's not that he just turned his back on God. It was just that he couldn't get over the ridiculousness of it. That God can, but he doesn't really want to, is what Abraham's thinking. Sure, God could, but he's not going to do that. I think oftentimes we struggle with that same kind of belief and doubt, that tension. I don't know about you, but no, I do know about you, because you're, you're human. And we, I think we all fall into that, that we, we, we want to believe, but after a while we're like, yeah, to save my spouse, you don't even know what she's like. You don't even know what he's doing. God's not going to save. Like, I'm, I've, I've actually quit praying because I know it's beyond hope. No, not beyond. Can God change my life? Can God actually deliver me from my addictions? You know, I stop praying about it because it's just, it's not going to, no. That's... That's, Abraham, that's this kind of faith that we're talking about here. With their, what Abram is laughing him out of the chair. This is what he's dealing with here. Will God transform our community? You know, we used to be all about doing those kinds of things. But, but you know, it's just, that's not the way God does it anymore. Really? Really? That's... Can God revive our church? I don't know. Doesn't look like it. See, we believe, but we just don't... We believe he can, but we don't believe he is. Or he wants to. We oftentimes fall into that kind of faith that he can, but he's probably not. Abraham certainly wasn't the last person to doubt like this. And neither are you. Neither are you. But God doesn't beat him up for it. Look what God does. In verse 19, then God said, it just... Okay, you're laughing? Get this, right? It's like he moved right on by. He didn't even care that he's laughing. He moved right on past his doubts. See, we, we get in our minds thinking that, that our doubts are really going to hamper things with God. But God's like, no, no, I get it. You're flesh. You, you don't even understand what I'm doing here. Just stay with me. Just stay with me. That's what God says. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you'll call him Isaac. He says, won't my other son be enough? And God says, yeah, he, yeah, he could be, but, but no. Sarah is going to give you a son. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, this one you were worried about, right? Your other son, the one who's 13, 
I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He will be a father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. God says, I haven't forgotten about Ishmael. I know I know Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael. But he's not the one I've promised. He is not part of my promise. God can bless people who aren't a part of his promise. We need, we need to be okay with that. Like, they don't have to follow Jesus to be experienced God's blessing. And at the same token, everybody that is blessed doesn't mean that they're walking with Jesus. Just because good things happen in people's lives and just because they do the right things doesn't mean... That, they're, they've, that he is the Lord of their life. Sarah will bear a son, and I will establish my covenant with him and his descendants. <laughs> All right, God's going to do it, right? So what is Abraham, how does Abraham respond to this? <laughs> Worship? No. When he finished speaking with Abraham, Abraham, God went up from him. God left. What's Abraham going to do? Well, no time like the present. On that very day, he took his son Ishmael and all those born to his household and brought with him his donkey, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. That very day. Abraham was convinced. I'm curious of the, the selling, his selling skills to get all of his all of his people to go, all the men in his household to go. I mean, he had hundreds, right? To go and say, all right, fellas, let's go. Yeah, I'm not so sure, Abraham. <laughs> I'm not so sure. And how you get a 13-year-old to do that? I, mean, I couldn't get mine to do anything when they were 13. That was Abraham's. He just got up and went. He didn't fuss. He gathered his people, and they went and did what God had told them to do. Now, would Abraham have done this years ago? Probably not. Probably not. Years ago, he would have had excuses. He would have had reasons why I don't have to, why I shouldn't, why I should wait. And that's why he did it here. That's why God did it here. Because, see, we read this passage, and, and it didn't take us long to even work our way through it, but it would seem like everything happened like, like the stamp of a finger. But no, it Faith doesn't happen overnight. For some, it does. For some, I mean, we know people who have who've had dramatic experiences with God, right? Who have who seem to just been living in, in hell for their whole life, and then all of a sudden, one day, they are like a new person. You you've been around people like that, right? That changed at the drop of a hat. It seemed like, but in reality, I have a friend who's who that happened. Forty years. I mean, he spent. I mean, living just an awful life. And the thing like overnight, literally overnight, he changed. A brand new person. Tempted to say, wow, it happened like that. No, it didn't happen like that. He spent 40 years wrestling with God. 40 years. And then all of that kind of just blew up all at once. So it did seem dramatic, but that was only because he was wrestling. He was fighting so hard for so long. It's the same for Abraham. He was a man of great faith. 
He was a man of great faith. But it takes time to build that great faith. When God told him to walk blamelessly before him back in the beginning in verse, in verse 1, that word blameless, there, it doesn't mean perfection like we think of free of blemishes. Think of it instead as, as fully committed, wholeheartedly. Think of it as complete in that sense. Blameless. It's as though God is saying, walk before me and don't walk before anybody else. Walk before me and no one else. Have a right heart is what Scripture teaches us again and again and again. None of those mentioned in Scripture, those people of those those great champions of faith, none of them have ever been accused of being perfect. I mean, you think of them: David and Noah and Moses and and Paul and and uh, none of the people who who are lifted up as champions of the faith were perfect people. I mean, they all had huge failures in their life. Not all, but most of them had huge failures. I mean, look at what Moses wrote in in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to read this for you. It's good. Deuteronomy is right after Exodus. So, not after Numbers. So, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord got to see that's, that's what God wants us is to have transformed hearts not our flesh but he wants to circumcise our hearts to cut away that that callousness that hardness of our heart to cut that away so we actually feel things again so we actually feel what he feels again as we were created paul another one who was full of mistakes in romans chapter 2 i'm gonna get there Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Holy Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. You see, it's about, it's about having our hearts shaped by God. That's the change that God wants to see in us. To have a right heart. To walk before Him blameless. To walk before Him wholeheartedly. With everything else cut away. Second thing I want us to see is we have to walk with God to claim the promises of God. We have to walk with God in order to claim the promises of God. That's what God told him, to walk before me, and then I will fulfill the covenant. If you walk before me blamelessly, and I will fulfill the covenant. Philippians 3, while we're in the New Testament, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to what I take hold of, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not give myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead. 
I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me in Christ Jesus. One thing we share in common as followers of Jesus is that we are all looking forward to more. All of us are looking forward to more than what we experience in this life. All of us are. God's promise is that there is more. That we should be looking forward. That we should be anticipating more from God. But just like Abraham and his descendants, in order to live into that promise, then we have to live into the covenant. We have to walk with God to claim the promises of God. Yesterday I went shopping, and as I was leaving one of the stores, there was a mom and dad. Uh, they were leaving, had their two kids, right? And dad was, dad was leaving, leaving the pack. He was out front. Right? And they were right behind him because it was kind of a crowd and, and they were obviously a little worried about their kids interacting. You know, well, kids are going to, hey, you know, whatever. They're going to wander off. You know? So mom has got a death grip on the kids' hands. Right? And they're right behind dad. And dad's like busting through traffic. Right? And they're right behind, like staying close. I remember getting drugged through stores by my mom all the time. That was because I would always wander off. I don't know. Kids still do that. I know, right? And they probably, Mom, let go. Sorry. No. Why? Because when we're in places where there are hazards, right? Mom's not going to let go. Dad's going to lead the way. That's what's happening here. Walking with God. He's going to hang on to our hands just like moms. And he's going to lead the way just like a heavenly father should. All we have to do is follow. All we have to do is walk with. In life, because... Newsflash, <laughs> this life is full of potential hazards. If you haven't re- realized that, this life is full of problems. We should want God to hold our hand. Not to feel like, I got this. No, no, no. No, you don't have this. You don't, you, you don't have it. You, you think you have it, but you don't. We have to walk with God in order to receive the promise. It's not something we can check off the list like grandma's air fryer. No. So we walk with a continual thing to walking with God. It takes time to build faith. It starts with how we answer a question. Do we repent of our sin, trusting Jesus as our Savior and and, and the Lord of our life? That's how we that's how it starts, becoming a Christian. How we answer that question. Once we answer that question, tomorrow we get to answer it again. Do we trust Christ as the forgiveness of our sin and to be the Lord of my life? And tomorrow, we're going to answer that question again. It's a daily, it's a daily surrender to being a Christian. You become by answering it one time. You remain by answering it daily. Today, as we share Holy Communion, is a chance for us to experience God's grace in a way that is real and tangible. Just as the sign of the covenant for Abram and Sarah was real, so is this, so is this sign of the cup as a means of grace, a way that, that we get to interact with God and experience His power right here today. So I'd like for you to share in the, the liturgy